So my name is Lindsay Smith. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Title Alliance, and I'm here today with our guest, Gotham Devaya, for another episode of Title Alliance Live. Gotham is on a mission to help business leaders and managers be more present and engaged with their teams without becoming overwhelmed or burned out. He teaches leaders and managers how to lead themselves and how to lead others and gives them essential tools for performance and collaboration. He has led workshops at Dropbox, Deloitte, PwC, Wayfair, T-Mobile, Harvard Business School, and most recently, in October, he was with us at Tidal Alliance. I'm very excited to welcome Gotham to our show today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Really excited to be with you again. You're very welcome. So, Gotham, one of the things that you are passionate about and really shared with our teams, and I know you share in your just your journey in life, is mindful leadership. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, definitely. Um, and maybe I can start a little bit by telling you how I sort of discovered mindful leadership. And, you know, often our, our mess becomes our message. And the way it started for me was, um, you know, as I shared um, at the workshop and talk we did in uh, Philadelphia, that for me, it started with experiencing stress and burnout in the workplace. I experienced a stress-induced uh, episode in, in the workplace that led to me actually having to visit the hospital. And coming out of that, my focus initially was around well-being. How can I improve my well-being, my physical well-being, my emotional and mental well-being? And that journey took a few months, a few years, but over time, it actually evolved to Mindfulness is not just helpful with my well-being because it helps me be more focused, more present, more calm, but it actually helps with my performance in the workplace. Uh, that focus is essential so I can do a hard, complex talk uh, analysis. Uh, the calmness is really essential as we get uh, triggered by information, requests, urgent demands on us. But this took a little bit of time really understanding that well-being and performance, it really contributes to, but it really helps with leadership too. And the simplest way to sort of explain this or understand this is our ability to understand others, understand the feelings, understand the thoughts and perspectives of others is influenced to a large extent by our ability to be aware and understand our own selves. And this sounds really counterintuitive when I sometimes say this, like, you know, focusing on ourselves sounds very self-centered, but the science actually proves it because we understand others' feelings, we understand others' thoughts by this idea or concept called mirror neurons. So we mirror the emotions and the feelings of another person to understand and appreciate what they are going through in their lives. And therefore, mindfulness, which helps us get to know ourselves better, really helps us engage, connect, and get to know others better. And that's sort of the foundational skill of leadership, of influence, of change in the workplace. So that's kind of the connection between uh, mindfulness and leadership. You know, it's interesting. You said that self-care isn't selfish. I'm paraphrasing the words that you use. And that was a really difficult lesson to learn, especially in leadership. Everybody, in my perspective and from my experience, 
believes that leadership is this really glamorous place. You've arrived if you've become a leader. And yet the pressures that come with being a leader are invisible to most people, at least if you're a really strong leader, right? You don't want everybody else to know what really is happening because you want to keep the calmness and you want to do everything you can, kind of like a mom taking care of their child. You want to protect them and take on whatever you can yourself. One of the things that I personally started doing uh, about September of last year was committing to spending four hours every quarter at the spa. No phone, no electronics, no outside world, just me and myself taking care of myself so that I can come back and really be better for my team. And it was a difficult thing to get used to in the beginning. I thought, well, I shouldn't be here. There's 53 emails and 10 meetings and all these things happening. But now that I've been doing it for, I guess I've been doing it for three or four times at this point in time, it's been pretty magical. The transformation, the calmness, and the ability that I have to really self-regulate when things become overwhelming. I just take myself back to that moment. You know, you mentioned that you ended up in a hospital after your break um, from all the stress that you were enduring. What are some of the techniques that you learned and, and you employed to help move yourself from there to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I think one of the uh, key learnings for me was that uh, there might be one triggering event that pushes you uh, over the edge, but really it's about the accumulation of stress that happens over days and weeks and months. And it's what I sort of think of it as compounding of stress. One individual event may not be uh, big enough, but when it adds up over days and weeks, we experienced this place where, you know, I, I was depleted. I was physically exhausted. I was mentally distracted as emotionally disconnected from my friends, my family. And when we reached that point, that's when the breakdowns happen. That's when the burnout happens. So for me, the goal has always been doing small, small things every day, every week, every month to maintain my level of resilience and well-being. It's not one magic sort of bullet, but the small things you can do every day or every week. And that's why I love that idea you have, like, you know, giving yourself that uh, break a half day effectively once a month to just uh, take care of yourself, to indulge, to rest, to relax, to be pampered, if you will. And even doing uh, small things, you know, once a week, like shutting down your phones and devices and for one evening and just spending time face to face with the family, you know, completely disconnecting from the outside world and staying within yourself, within your family. It's just a very powerful way to uh, remind us what matters most and to create the small structures to um, do the things that matter. Um, and I, for me, it's really been about setting up small, small habits and practices. So like one great example is I have a 10 minute morning mindfulness meditation practice. And, you know, initially when I started, I got really ambitious and I said, oh, maybe I should do 60 minutes because that's what the best in best in the world mindfulness teachers do. And slowly over time, I realized like, it's doing 60 minutes is just not practical. We're busy, especially in the morning. Uh, it's better I do a few minutes every day on a consistent basis rather than 60 minutes once or twice a week quite randomly. So I really tried to cut it down to 
10 minutes every morning, pretty much the first thing after I wake up, I set my uh, coffee pot going and I sit down for my mindfulness meditation practice. So again, just keeping it very, very simple. So that and the second thing I think has been uh, really transformative for me is physical exercise. You know, when I exercise, I feel like a completely different person. And the days I don't exercise, I can feel there's that buildup of energy and tension and restlessness. So the way I figured out again is only 30 minutes. So my goal is I'll set a timer and I say, okay, I'm going for a 30 minute run. Uh, I'm going for a 30 minute walk. I found a gym that I work out in that has 30 minute workouts. So again, all designed to sort of fit into a busy day, but it's the really the small things we do over time, consistently over time that sort of compound to give us this ability to deal with ups and downs. And uh, I mean, the good, for, the good news of all of this is that for 13 years, I've not had a burnout episode like I had that day. So it's, and it's not that I haven't, you know, have struggles and difficulties, health or family or financial or business. Uh, it's just that I've built my resilience cap capacity so I can take these ups and downs that we experience with the economy or anything else uh, in the course of our lives. You mentioned that the burnout usually comes from an accumulation of items. There'll be obviously a straw that breaks the camel's proverbial back, but that might be something simple. It might be that your email server went down. It might be that you weren't able to find a parking spot. Totally unrelated, or at least as a standalone issue, something where you feel like that shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? But it's the compound effect, the way that all of the things just kind of add up. And when that happens, I personally find it's difficult to motivate yourself to want to exercise or to want to even start a mindfulness practice because, in my experience, you feel like, which way's up? I don't even know. You want me to add one more thing to my plate? You've lost your mind. How did you help yourself and how do you find motivation to be able to continue those practices? Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good question. And this is one of the big differences I've noticed between uh, uh, professional sports athletes and corporate or business athletes. And if you look at the professional or sporting athletes, they spend 80% of their time training. Uh, they're doing their training, whether it's physical fitness, endurance training, drill training, team training, mindset, motivation training. Uh, the coaches are giving them motivation, guidance, instructions. And there are a lot of great Netflix and Amazon documentaries that follow teams throughout the whole season. I think the Arizona NFL team is being followed this season on, uh, NFL, on Netflix. But they show that 80% of the time they're spending training and 20% of the time performing. Whereas our world is really different. We are spending, I would say most people spend just 100% of the time performing. And what I'm suggesting is maybe there is a need, there's an opportunity here to invest in our own performance. 5%, 10% of our time. Google actually has this policy that 20% of your time every week, you can invest in some sort of a development initiative. 
maybe developing a new product, a new marketing strategy, a new sales strategy. It could be also developing professional skills. You make the choice, but 20% of the time you're investing your training. So that's the mindset I try to bring for myself. I used to be a athlete when I was younger. I played on, I played soccer. I was a hundred meter sprint runner. And so I always had this thing about training helps me perform better. And here's where I found mindfulness completely changed the game for me. Before I had this regular daily practice, what used to take my typical day was like eight to nine to 10 hours of work. But when I started this mindfulness practice, the level of focus and the level of concentration I have, I find I can finish my work in about three to four hours in a day. I don't need the whole day anymore. And this was at Deloitte. So this was when I was working for a large global company. And the rest of the time was in meetings and conversations and other kinds of group activities. But my individual strategic analysis work, I was a corporate strategist at Deloitte, was done in about three hours a day, sometimes even 90 minutes or two hours because of that intense level of focus and concentration I bought. It only came through that training mindset. So there's a very high ROI when you train and develop specific skills for well-being or for performance or leadership. It just makes the rest of the work easier, more effective and quicker. How do you think mindfulness helps with team effectiveness? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I I wanted to share an example. I was with a client yesterday. Uh, They run customer service operations for some of the largest uh, companies in the world. And one of the things they've been doing uh, is tracking and observing team meetings. And the number one thing they noticed in team meetings was that 80% of the conversation that happens in a team meeting is the team leader talking or the senior most person talking. There wasn't as much contribution and participation by the other team members. And usually it's, you know, there are five or eight people in a team. So you would expect to see an equal amount of participation from all team members. And this is the number one indicator that there is not a high level of psychological safety and trust on the team. So the team members are not feeling safe speaking up. Maybe one or two of them are speaking up, but not all of them. And they all have skills. They all have experience. They all have ideas. It's like, can you bring that across in the team? Because the whole idea of the team is that, you know, the the sum, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And we need that collaboration. We need that conversation. We need that engagement. We need that perspective. And that's where I think mindfulness really, really is powerful because mindfulness helps us empathize with others. And empathy is really about seeing the humanity of another person amidst their difficulties, amidst their challenges, amidst whatever they are going through. And showing up for them and saying, I'm here for you. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know if I can solve it, uh, but I'm here to listen. I'm here to understand. I'm here to support you. I want you to know I'm here for you. Brené Brown 
beautiful TED talk on vulnerability and empathy on the workplace shares a lot more about this. So mindfulness gives you that uh, awareness to show up for another person as a human being, not as a leader, not as a boss, not as a manager, not as a, I need to talk to you and tell you what, what you need to do versus let's understand what's, how are you approaching the situation? What questions do you have? And in fact, not taking silence as an answer, right? Really getting them to share and creating that safe space. So a mindfulness basically in one quick line creates that safe space for the whole person to show up and contribute. I think so many times people talk about IQ. Well, if you're really smart, you're going to succeed. And while I don't discount the importance of intelligence, I think that empathy and EQ are far more important in my perspective there are things that are really innate to you. You either are empathetic or you're not empathetic. And you can learn whatever else you need to, le to learn. So I just really love hearing you talk about having empathy and really caring about your team members to create that safety. That, that's a really great point. No doubt, no matter what piece of the world you're working in right now, there's uncertainty. We went from being normal to having a global pandemic to now having this inflation and interest rate battle that's just trickling down into all sectors. When there yeah. is uncertainty, how can you create resilience? Yeah. Um, so actually, the way I think about it is thinking of it as a timeline. We can have and use different tools and techniques at different points of stage when we experience some uncertainty or some triggering news. And the first thing is just to be aware. Notice what is really happening in the situation. Seeing if you can separate the information from your own experience. Because what often happens is when we hear something, it triggers us. It triggers a range of thoughts, a range of emotions within us. So start to notice like, oh, I'm getting triggered. One of the practices I like to teach is name it to tame it. So name the emotions you're experiencing. I'm feeling triggered. I'm feeling anxious. I'm experiencing fear. I'm experiencing uncertainty about my job, about my finances, about the industry and the career. Acknowledge these. Acknowledge the experience you're having, not from sort of a defeatist perspective, but more from a realistic perspective. This is what is going on. And recognizing that this is part of the human experience. There is no one who has not gone through uncertainty in the world. There is no one who has not experienced good and bad news, ups and downs in their lives, professional, personal. So recognizing that this is part of our human experience, we all will go through it. And using that as a way to remind ourselves to be kind to ourselves. Because often we can be our own harshest critic. You know, you should have prepared more. You should have done this. Why weren't you ready? Why didn't you do so much critical ideas and thoughts come about towards our, ourselves? So really being kind and compassionate towards ourselves. And once we have created this, because again, sort of to the same idea of empathy, we're creating a safe space for ourselves. That's the first thing we want to do. Create a safe space where we can think clearly, where we're not getting constantly triggered by our emotions. 
and once we can think clearly once that fight flight freeze mode is sort of calmed down then reframe the situation reframe the situation for looking for the learnings looking for the opportunities i mean in this uncertainty right now it's a great time to invest in learning and growth it's a great time to invest in building new relationships it's a great time to invest in new sales and marketing and operating strategies i mean the risk is low you already don't have that client try something new maybe it'll work out or you learn something from that experience so really reframing this as um a learning a growth opportunity and let me give you an example one of my clients decided because of you know the economic uncertainty we are all experiencing not to do a couple of programs that we had scheduled for this year but defer it for next year and my immediate reaction was like oh that's that's going to hurt right <laughs> going to hurt in terms of the business and professionally financially but after the call i sort of sat back and i said like oh this is a great learning opportunity for me here why did they decide to hold back what could i have done in the future how can i prepare for 2024 now that we know what we what they might be looking for next time so i was actually really really excited by it and here's the eureka for me i would not have thought about all that learning opportunity and growth if they have said oh gotham we're just going to renew and keep going for this year that's so true so that yeah so that learning opportunity here's a amazing statistic right facebook airbnb square all these big companies emerged out of the last global recession that in 2008 2009 is when all these companies took off youtube took off then and because people were willing to experiment they were willing to try new things during the pandemic so many things like virtual conversations and virtual meetings took off so amazing things are going to come out of this uh economic uncertainty i know the inflation and interest rates is particularly hitting the real estate industry hard and but there will be innovations that happen that will then become the next growth platform for the industry and companies like yourself like title alliance thank you i was invited to a retreat and it was a silent retreat no speaking one of the things that they asked us to do was to come with a whole new wardrobe we were only there for a few days no electronics no connection to the outside world and a new wardrobe and in my mind i thought well, how is that humanly possible how can i not speak to anybody not have any connection and just figure out how to have a whole new wardrobe and when i spoke to them before we went into silence the reason why she wanted everybody to have a whole new wardrobe was so that there were no emotional triggers they didn't want anybody to say well i wore this dress the last time this happened or i wore this shirt they wanted something that there was no connection to so that you really could spend your time introverted in yourself without triggers no world no tv no facebook none of those things no emails and just really sit with yourself what's working what's not working and you know it really made me think a lot about the conversation that we had when we were together in october because you focus on similar practices now you didn't go to the extreme and say everybody should be in silence but yet you had my room of 80 people in silence for several minutes 
because you had them working through practices and meditations and breathing exercises, and it just changed the air. So it was just really exciting to see several months later things that kind of reflected back on the teachings that you had brought to us. Um, and it makes me wonder, what other things can people do to help improve their focus and calmness? Yeah, um, thank you for sharing that uh, story. I think one of the tools I mentioned, mindfulness and exercise, and I would say this third tool has been truly transformative, is journaling. And the idea here is journaling is a very powerful tool to communicate with ourselves. We're constantly, there's this chattering mind, you know, uh, the Eastern philosophies refer to it as the monkey mind. All these thoughts are happening in our brain constantly. And what is really helpful is if we can start to see any patterns in those thoughts, and that's why mindfulness is so powerful that when you do a silent retreat for a few days or you're sitting for a few hours in silence, you start to separate the noise, the signal from the noise. There's a lot of noise, and external noise, social media, news, uh, constant emails, messages. But then there's also all this internal chatter that's happening in our mind. And when we calm the mind down, we can start to notice patterns. We can start to notice patterns like, oh, I tend to have thoughts about the future. I tend to have thoughts about this particular person. I tend to have thoughts about these kinds of situations. I tend to have positive thoughts. I tend to have negative thoughts. And we really, that's really about self-awareness. And where journaling helps is sometimes we notice those patterns, but we forget about them. And then we tend to repeat those patterns again and again. So you sort of journal at the end of a mindfulness practice, or you've sat for like 10, 15 minutes, or even at the end of your work day, just journaling, you know, what are the three things uh, that I did really well today? What are my three wins or three victories for today? And what are my three learnings for today? Now, that is really a powerful tool for us to start to notice patterns. And human beings, we are really our patterns. Our, if you look at our behavior since our childhood and all, you start to see these patterns. That's why there's certain kinds of people we like, certain kinds of foods we like, certain movies we like, certain places we like to go on vacations to. Everything is patterns. And once we start to notice the patterns, we can then choose whether we want to keep some or we want to change some. I love that. Everybody knows how to exercise, whether they choose to or not is another, you know, is a whole other conversation for another day. But everybody knows what to do. You can walk, you can run, you can ride a bike, you can go to the gym. But I think when it comes to mindfulness practices, you know, whether it's meditation or journaling, so many people struggle saying, well, what does that mean? And how do I get started? And what exactly do I do? So I love the prompts that you talked about from a journaling perspective, Journal your three wins for the day. Journal your three learning moments. I'd add to that, journal the three things you're most grateful for. And I think that those are really yeah. great things. From a meditation perspective, how would you recommend that somebody starting their mindfulness journey start to meditate when they maybe don't really even know what that means other than something that they should be doing? 
Yeah. I mean, one of the nice things about uh, the last few years is that there's a lot of buzz around mindfulness. A lot of people are trying it. There's a lot of research and science proving the benefits of mindfulness. And I think one of the simplest ways to start mindfulness uh, could be to download one of the apps, Headspace, Calm, Insight Timer, and sign up for like maybe a 30-day getting started mindfulness series. And what you can expect to receive is like every day, maybe five to 10 minutes of a guided mindfulness practice. And the more you practice it, the stronger the skills will become. I think the simplest way to think about it is mindfulness means paying attention to the present moment. And the way I like to ask people to pay attention to this present moment is by noticing their breath. The breath coming in, the breath going out. And the reason I say the breath is because the breath is universal. It's always available to us. Uh, and the breath is also very closely connected to our thoughts and feelings. We'll start to notice like, oh, if I'm having agitated thoughts or uncomfortable feelings, my breathing pattern is also changing. So it kind of becomes like a lead indicator or a barometer of how you're feeling and how you're doing. And if you're noticing like, oh, you're triggered, you're breathing shallow, uh, you're not breathing properly, you're not breathing deeply, you can start to make the shift then. You can use the breath as a tool to sort of shift how you're feeling, giving yourself that space to be more present, more focused. So uh, I would, my suggestion would be to start with, you know, a 30-day series. I think that's usually how long it takes to build a new habit, build a new practice. Find something that is like, like a breath-based meditation because I think that's the simplest way. And that's a way that is very portable. So you don't, after you've developed a skill, you can practice this on your own anywhere you go. And the final thing I would say is don't expect miracles, right? And don't expect too much of yourself. Uh, and just go with the experience. It might feel uncomfortable. It might feel unfamiliar it might feel strange like what am i doing here where is this going that is all part of the practice it is so so counterintuitive but the fact that you're noticing that you can't pay attention means that you're being mindful because earlier you were not paying attention but you didn't even know that now you're noticing that oh i can't focus and my uh, participants will say, Gautam, that was so hard. I could not focus. I noticed I kept on going here and there. I'm like, no, you were being mindful. You noticed that you were going here and there. It is so counterintuitive, but it's so simple. And suddenly in like two, three weeks, you suddenly have like, oh, actually I am being mindful. I am paying attention. I am noticing how difficult or challenging or frustrating or pleasant this experience is. And that's when it clicks. And that's when you're like, oh, I like this. I see what this is doing to my focus, my calmness, my resilience. One of the things that's certain is no matter where we are in life, we all have to deal with a difficult conversation at some point, whether it's telling our kids no or having a more difficult conversation with someone we work with, or maybe just dealing with conflict that you'd really rather avoid. Are there mindfulness practices that you utilize when having your own difficult conversations to make it a little bit easier? Yeah, and 
actually this builds very closely on the topic of teams because often the difficult conversations may be with a team member who you have to give some critical feedback to and one of the things we talked about on the team side was empathy how important empathy is to build connections relationships and understanding with your team members but one of the reasons people struggle with empathy is because empathy can also lead to what is called uh, empathic contagion or emotional contagion where you get overwhelmed by the feelings of another person so when you see someone in distress you get overwhelmed by their feelings and what happens is then you step away you avoid the situation maybe you avoid the person you avoid getting into that difficult conversation you avoid speaking up you avoid asking the difficult questions because you see them struggling you see them in distress and so the complementary practice that mindfulness enables is compassion and what is different between compassion and empathy is empathy uh you start to get overwhelmed by the feelings of another person but with compassion which is a switch you ask yourself how can i be of service to this person how can i help this person what does this person need right now so you shift the focus from yourself to really serving the other person and i think compassion is the secret to having difficult conversations you show up in that difficult conversation with this perspective how can i help this person what does this person need right now gatham when you're not practicing mindfulness or working or traveling the country sharing your practices what do you like to do in your spare time uh so um one of the things i love doing is uh and something i started doing the pandemic is playing tennis and quite a few reasons why i like it so firstly uh, my mom reminds me that she's 80 she'll be 81 next month she reminds me that you can keep playing tennis into your old age so that's really nice it's an you can be active for many years the second reason is it's a social sport so i love it there are other people at the club that i go and play and so you get to meet and that they found is the secret of longevity maintaining those social relationships But here's the third thing that makes it really really special. My wife and I play pretty much every time together. So every Saturday and Sunday we have scheduled classes or programs or competition that we are in and we're usually either playing against each other or we're on the same team. So it's also another great way for us to do uh something together. So I really like tennis for that reason. um uh, anything physical i love so i'm into crossfit i'm into uh biking road biking so i love doing those things on the weekend um and one thing living in uh, new york uh, we're fortunate to do is attend live theater um and that's that's something really special i watched this one person show last weekend Uh, a performer out of uh, London who was performing here in New York for four weeks, and it was amazing. It's so inspiring to see what one human being can do on a stage, how they can inspire through storytelling, through music, through words, through movement. Uh, inspire each one of us to find whatever is special in each in us in ourselves, 
And so I, I love going to theater and especially seeing, you know, what the amazing things people do with art or performance or uh, acting and music. It's been a minute since I've been to New York for live theater, but being in Philadelphia, I, I see it frequently. And my daughter does, she's 12, she does a lot of theater. So I, I get the opportunity to see that. Where would you say would be your dream vacation if you could go anywhere in the world? <laughs> yeah, actually, um, my wife and I have been talking about it because I'm coming up on my uh, 50th birthday. And um, for some reason, like going into the place where very few people live, if any at all, is really sort of inspiring to me. So I would love to go on a vacation sometime to Antarctica or the southern islands of New Zealand. Uh, just, you know, be in that wilderness and connect with nature. All right. My last question for you. Who would you say you would like to have dinner with, dead or alive? If you had the opportunity to choose one human being, I would have to. Uh, for me, that would be uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And I say this, of course, he's had a lot of. He helped India win independence from the British, so he's had a lot of change and impact. But what I really liked about him was how he focused. His inner focus was a lot around self improvement. Um, how can he? Uh, take better care of his health, how he can discipline himself, how he can really be the change you want to see in the world. So he was not telling others what to do. It was all about being the person he thought he needed to be to help India win independence. And for me, for some reason, that's really inspiring the, the immense potential that one human being has. And I love to see and learn more about that uh, that hu amazing human being. Thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today regarding anything we've talked about or anything you'd like to add? I think for me, what's really resonating very strongly these days is uh, for each one of us to access our full potential and express ourselves fully, to show up fully in the world, not to leave anything behind, not to leave anything behind, but realizing that we have so much more to give, so much more to give and so much more within us. So my encouragement to your listeners would be is to really give 100% towards expressing your full potential whether it's at work, whether it's with your family, whether it's in the business, whether it's in relationships, don't leave anything behind. This is a very short ride, very, very short ride that we're on. And we want to get to the end of this ride, recognizing and realizing that we gave it everything we had within us. So being fully self-expressed. Gotham, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. I very much enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully the next time we can meet up on Broadway and catch a show, maybe dinner afterwards. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Would love to do that. I can take you some of my favorite restaurants in, uh, in the city. That sounds so fun. Thank you very much for being with us. And I wish everybody a wonderful day. Title 
Alliance produced this podcast with the help of the marketing team at Bow Digital. Be sure to look out for our latest episode released each month. Subscribe to our podcast today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and other major listening apps.